something that I felt like I was gravitated to without even knowing it. Like I would do things and seek out things and seek out music um, at a very young age. And I cannot tell you the motivation behind it. It was just like, there's this preset path. to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising BIPOC artists who are the future voices of the animation industry. I'm Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Daniel Rodier. He is a Latino composer currently working towards his master's at NYU. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, I just recently moved to New York. I think I've been here for about a year working on my master's. Um, other than that, I've recently become a composer full-time. Yeah, I don't know. I did my education in California, um, and I've been making music since I was 16, so uh, wow. around when I finished high school, but um, do a lot of like concert work, and then recently I've been picking up a lot of animation and film work. So in the last couple years, I've been doing a lot of live-action film um, and, of course, animation. It's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but the way we like to start off straight ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why. All right, let's do this. First one. Which demigod had a better musical solo? Maui from Wana or Hercules from Hercules? Oh, it right away it's hercules like i i can't that does not even a question um i like i like lin-manuel miranda's writing dwayne the rock johnson is charming but there's that that song is so iconic it, it's one of the things that i i, I sh- shamefully try to sing in the shower every every couple of months i've never tried to sing maui's i'm the greatest song and by the way they're, they're, they're two different types of songs. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me get into this. That Hercules <laughs> song is, is his I want song, which is, is cl- in right. classical musical literature. That's supposed to be like the song. And Maui's song is just like a yo, what up? It's me song. The equivalent to the I want song is in Moana is the one that Moana sings about wanting to go away. That's supposed to be like the big boy song, right? So. Mm-hmm. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting perspective. I love it. <laughs> Take that, Maui. Just destroyed right off the bat. I love that. Okay, uh, last one. Who is a better pet slash best friend? Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon or Stitch from Lilo and Stitch? Ooh, that's a good one because they both start off kind of rascally. I like. I also like the pet slash best friend. That's a very like movie Wild. animation thing and a very sad real life thing. If my pet was my Your best friend. Your pet slash best friend. I mean, that's true. Oh. <laughs> I think to fulfill both categories. Oh, man, this is hard. Okay, here's here's my thinking. To fulfill both <laughs> categories, you have to be senti enough to where it's not sad that an animal is your best friend. And <laughs> Stitch is definitely senti enough to like be human enough to where that or like senti enough to that's not sad that she's friends with like a sentient creature. It's like the Iron Giant <laughs> or like E.T., right? In in the world of how to train your dragon, Toothless is an animal. 
Like, no doubt about that. They, that guy's just an animal. And if an animal was my best friend, that would be sad. So that's my thinking is Stitch wins <laughs> as a good best friend. He's just called, he's just called Hiccup sad. Uh, he, he starts, it's Jay Burrishell. Like, he only, he exclusively plays sad characters. That's true. <laughs> So based I was not expecting this kind of like logic, this kind of like reasoning from like from this question. <laughs> very deep dive, very analytical. I am taking this very stuff. seriously. No, good. It's, it matters so much. All of the points, all of the points. Okay, because my 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 gut is telling me it's actually toothless, but Stitch oh. didn't bite his leg off or whatever. What wait, wait, what happened with Hiccup? No, he didn't get his leg bitten off, but he was part of it. Uh. Okay, no, it, it's going to be Stitch, even though the the relationship between Toothless and Hiccup is very heartwarming. It's going to be Stitch because he's sentient, so it's not sad, and there's no <laughs> codependent relationship. They can exist without each other, so that means that when they spend time with each other, it's because they like each other, not because they're broken without each other. That's oh. a codependent relationship. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I feel like... Being your own person. Yeah, because like... Stitch can like actually sit on the couch with you. You guys can crack open a cold one. Yeah, like, he's, watch, he's watch watch sports. He's a homie. You're gonna crack open a cold one. <laughs> Stitch would definitely drink a white claw. I, I, I just he would he would just be into the into the aesthetics alone. Oh no! Don't give him a white claw. That would be so bad. I, I'd love to see that though. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so that was in between. Thanks so much for playing with us, Daniel. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, so before we fully dive in, uh, one of the things I kind of want to mention is that this is a bit different for us. The majority of the people that we've been interviewing tend to be more on the artistic side in the animation industry. You're on the music side, and a lot of the body of work they have done have been animation related. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you in and kind of talk to you. So this is kind of like this is kind of like a special episode for us, kind of get to know you and hopefully, uh, yeah, for students in school to get a bit more insight, like on the music side and the music production of it. Because I feel like that's something that they honestly don't think about until the very end of their project. And it's like, oh, damn, <laughs> I don't have time for music. I'm just going to get some royalty free stuff from YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to go into deep dive and talk more about you. So first off, what is it that you do as a music composer that the average person might not know? What does your role entail? I think on the surface, a lot of people just know the basic thing is I, I watch the film and I, I see what I feel and then I write the music. I think that a thing that most people might not know is the amount of time and care a lot of music composers uh, put into understanding the story from a visual level and just from a storytelling level. I have a lot of great mentors in my life tell me that at this point, you are not a composer, you are a storyteller and you have equal kind of responsibility with the screenwriters, editors, directors, you know, whoever, anyone in the visual medium that you're working with, you have equal responsibility to convey that story. So I think that's, that's something that in people's minds seems separated, but I think composers think a lot about so less in musical terms, but more in like what what is the pacing of this film? What is the emotion? What are we trying to convey here? What are we leading to? Are we gonna mm -hmm. telegraph something? All of those things become more something that you would hear a director kind of ask themselves or a screenwriter or an editor kind of ask themselves rather than a music composer. 
I think that that part is something that I didn't know when when I got into the business and is really helped my career. And then also it's something that I don't think people think think too much about the composers are storytellers. Totally. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I think like very often uh especially at a student level people come like, "Oh yeah, we need sound for this." And sound is like 50% of the experience when watching a yeah. media. <laughs> Very yeah. often, and it's it's so important. You got to give your composers time to like do that and like you know digest the story and and come back with something that will really enhance the experience. And I think that allowing a composer to do that, like it really shows. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. I think that's the thing a lot about professional composers, even younger composers. They're really good. Like the skill entrance to be able to even be able to do this is so high that once you get past this, it's you can't. It's it takes years and years to get just better technically. So the only thing that separates us mm-hmm. when we're all kind of at the same skill level is your ability to work with a team, is your ability to understand a story and kind of hit things on on your first take and just to understand things intrinsically. But it's, yeah, it's super hard. Like you said, it's 50% of the story and yeah. we're brought in so late because it's, I mean, especially with animation, I, it makes sense. Like that's the that's the last thing you think about because there's so much to create. Exactly, it's definitely a pitfall for a lot of student projects, or especially like at a student level. But one of the things I felt like we should have mentioned in the beginning is that if Daniel Rodier sounds familiar, if that name sounds familiar, is that because he's also the composer for the intro and outro of this podcast? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only that, he's also <laughs> was a music composer. Of Yuki's and Mine's uh, thesis project, Sol Naciente. And for those of you that don't know, and you guys probably should, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Sol Naciente is an animated project I directed. It's an animated graphic novel about uh, luchadors. So check that out, solnacentecomic.com. But what's cool about that is that we had Daniel compose original music to accompany the comic as you kind of go through reading it. And there's music that carries throughout that changes along with the story, but there's also music that uh, activates when certain animated panels are clicked. And it was honestly so beautifully done. So damn authentic. I can't tell you how many compliments I still get about the music. Like so many people are just impressed with the animation alone, but when they're like, holy shit, this has music? <laughs> yeah, what? they're like looking at it on their phone and they're like, wait a second. <laughs> you can hear this? So... The reason I bring it, bring that up is that can you tell us uh, what went through your mind when you were composing the original soundtrack for Sol Naciente? Ooh, yeah, that's great. I, I love that project so much. I love the art about it so much. And I think that that was the first thing that that went through my mind when I saw it. It was like, oh, I love this so much. And I remember, I think I saw a proof of concept before I was actually approached. And that that's what I was thinking is like, I relate to this so much and I love everything about this. So it was a genuine excitement. I think that, that were the first things that went through my mind. And then when I was officially asked, then it was, it was like, oh shit, how do I, how do I do this? <laughs> and like just on a technical level and also something that could rise to the occasion of the animation and the art. So that's that nervousness turned into a lot of research and uh, a lot of time. I feel like I asked for more time from Ray than he actually had. And he he was <laughs> he was gracious enough to to give me the amount of time so we could hash out like, oh, what 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 is the sound? And then how are we going to do this technically? But in the end, I think it worked out great. And I had a lot of ideas that 
got to go in and and like my my kind of my whole aesthetic that I wanted to accomplish through the work of a lot of different people got done. Oh, it was it was just so serious from beginning to end. I I, I still had the, the same thoughts on it. Like, gosh, this is so good. I like this so much. That's really incredible. No, I'm happy to hear that. Like kind of kind of going back. Yeah, I think I reached out to you fairly early on. I think I think school has started for like about a month or two. Like we got a lot of early visits kind of done. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that I approached you soon enough because I know I wanted to work with you because we we were working on a project previously that kind of fell through. We don't have to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but I remember you were really cooperative and I, you had a lot of ideas that I really wanted you to work on Sol Naciente. And so I knew that I had to reach reach out ahead of time because I knew it takes time. I knew I couldn't just finish the project first. It's like, oh, hey, just add music to this. Mm-hmm. It's something that I felt like needed needed time to do. And honestly, the thing I was so impressed when working with you is that I honestly was expecting something fairly uh not i don't want to say simple but i was like oh yeah if like we can have some music that could kind of be here and some music there but you you really wanted to layer things in you you went above and beyond trying to film uh actual like live recordings of music like everything you were like oh can we do this can we do this i was like i didn't even think about doing that like i was i was like yeah let's let's try it let's do it and then we had to talk to the coder as well and it seemed possible what was some of the stuff that like you guys encountered like communicating between like director of the project and uh, being a composer. Is there anything that kind of sticks out as like, oh, I never thought about this before. Like we kind of met. I, I've worked with a lot of directors who have a very clear vision of what they want. And that that may or may not include you. I think the thing that encountered me that was so striking with Ray is me getting him excited about ideas like me pitching something as much as I did. I think that that was that was something that that I really liked. It was like, oh, well, of course this needs this, right? And Ray's like, I have never even thought of that. That of yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a double-edged sword cuz I would just get excited about something and pitch it, and instead of it getting struck down like it usually does in a nice way, Ray would just be like, "Yes." And in fact, let's do more of that. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think like I will admit when it comes to like uh, some some aspects about like mu- I, I want to say music has always kind of been like my weakest strength. I feel like when it comes to direct, I can I can kind of direct feeling and I kind of can direct an essence of what I want. But I think one of the reasons I reached out to you because I know you you have such wealth of knowledge. And I think the, my style of directing when I have directed is that I need people that I know that are better than me in certain aspects so I can like lean on them to make the right choice. And ultimately, I will be the final say, but. I put a lot of faith in the people that I work with because mm. I, I choose them for a specific reason. And, and oftentimes they've always delivered and like you hands down have, have delivered. Like, I think the idea that I liked that I, I didn't even consider is that in the opening panel, when the like, sun comes up, even like Soma, uh, El Sol's signature move, El Cambio del Sol, you wanted to add like, like a light, like a light match, like, like mm. something igniting. I was like, that's a clever idea that goes beyond just, doing a or like a little like <laughs> musicals like it could have easily been a guitar strum it could have easily been like a trumpet but you're like let's add a match to me that was just such a different way of thinking it's like oh damn we could use these other sounds that could enhance certain things and mm. i i like that about you and i like that you brought things like that to the table when working on Sol Naciente. 
Oh, that's so nice. You're just honey roasting me at this point. I, mean, I, I barely have. <laughs> I, think I, I talk less, and then you just compliment me. This is great. No, man, I, I like I like working with you. Uh, <laughs> to keep going, like you actually created a lot of soundtracks for several animated projects, especially with uh, the San Jose State Animation Program. Mm-hmm. How were those experiences for you, and how did you actually first get involved with composing music for the for animation students and the program? Mm. Yeah, let's let's talk specifically about SJSU's animation program. I've I've gotten around enough at this point to know how good I had it when I was there. The 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 oh, animators really? <laughs> that come there and the projects that are done there are world class. And I and I don't say that as Aww. hyperbole. I at least in, in the US, I've I've seen animation programs in a lot of different schools now, just through friends about like, oh, what did you work on? Or like show me. You know, should, where where did you go to school? And, and just doing research in other schools or where I wanted to go. There hasn't been a lot of student projects that come close. And in fact, when I talk about it, just professionally, I don't call these student films. And and, and I know there's, there's a bit of a um, bias against student films. But the way, mm. the manner in which it's produced, the amount of production that's in it in terms of money and man hours, and then just like, the quality that comes out of it, I don't consider it a student film. I really don't. I mm-hmm. really consider these like genuine projects that happen to be done by students and 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 directors. You're, you 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 and animators. You guys don't want to be animators. It's not a wish of yours. The work that you're doing show is showing that you are real animators. So I never put the people that I'm working with down by calling them students. You know, people who are in the middle of studying this. First of all, you never stop learning, so you're always a student. So when does when do student <laughs> films become AAA blockbuster films if we're all students in that kind of hokey <laughs> very true <laughs> that ho- students that hokey life. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good mentality though. Yeah. I like that. But the 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 main point is that like the work that's being that was being done at SGSU was so quality. So getting back to Ray's question, how I got into it was the most simple way possible. I answered an email in which I thought everyone was going to be clamoring for this opportunity, and it turned out I was the only one who said, "Wow, yes, I I want to do this." And that was with that was back. Oh gosh. Was that the Adobe project? Yes, that was 4-4 Downpour. Oh. 2015, 2016. It, it might have been 2015 and then maybe wrapped in, in 2016. Yeah, I think I think I was a sophomore. I think I was in my second year when that was when so that was be being made. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing people working on it on the because that was animated on paper. Is animated on paper that one. Yes. That that That's was crazy. so cool. I that was Something about that project just worked out so well because I had live musicians on that. And then the production was so crazy. It was like laying tracks down in front of a train. But everything worked. <laughs> it was so crazy how everything worked out. And then even little things like I I, I didn't have a whole lot of communication with the, with the people in charge, but... When we it wasn't it didn't matter because when we did talk, I would say like, oh, I'm doing all of this work for this reason. Like, that's great. That's exactly what we were thinking or like the whole aesthetic. I was like, God, this really reminds me of. um, Gosh, what's the main character's name from 101 Dalmatians? The dude. Oh, Roger. Yeah. He's like, he reminds me of Roger. And so I just I I went with that direction anyway. And they're like, wow, 
thank God you did that because that's exactly who we based them off of. This was this was the whole aesthetic. <laughs> uh, so great. <laughs> yeah, because like I think it was correct me if I'm wrong. So Adobe, so the Adobe project Upward Downport was a collaboration that San Jose State did with Adobe, and Adobe, Adobe I think has a facility or a building in San Jose, and then from there. Because I know one of the leads on that project was, I think, like Christina Chi and Olivia Aces. And through oh. and through that, um, Olivia Aces, I think, reached out to you to work on her BFA film, Radish Tail. Yes. Was that how it kind of went from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After uh, after that, that's when like this kind of chain association came through. Uh, mm-hmm. Rad- yeah, Radish Tail was the first project that came out of just that first interaction with the SJSU animation department. And then after that point, anyone that contacted me from SJSU was a point of association. I was like, oh, I know this person who knew this person who knew this person and so on and so forth. Actually, something I just want to quickly backtrack because I, I find it so baffling. Why do you think no one else jumped out an opportunity to work with the animation program for this Adobe project? Why do you think you were the only one that jumped on it. You know, for the life of me, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's just like in like collaborating with artists in general. If you know the layout of of SJSU uh, and you know the buildings, the music building is right next to the art building. And like all the musicians who have gear and stuff park right there. We share a parking lot. We call it the Batcave. I think mm-hmm. you guys call it something differently. So why would you not think to collaborate with the most immediate artists around you? They're always going to be there. They're always going to be working there. Like, why isn't that a thing? I, honestly, I couldn't answer your question. I, I Maybe it was an email form. So it was kind of hard to like, if you were just like checking your emails through the day and it was kind of long and long winded and it was forwarded on top of that, maybe maybe the way it was presented... um. Also, this is probably an important time to make the distinction that's still being made today, which I think is kind of bullshit, but it's it's important to to bring out. I came from uh the con- what they call like concert music world or contemporary music or just like this kind of um how do I put it? This this kind of like a- more academic focused music. And mm-hmm. that world for whatever reason kind of looks at film and animation or just, you know, music for any kind of multimedia for entertainment as a vocational art and looks down upon it in this weird, in this super weird, very antiquated old white dude way of like, I don't understand (laughs) what you do or yeah, it's nice. You can do what you do, but it's Hollywood music. You know, they, they don't really understand it. And in doing so, when you're a student, you're, you don't have any background in it. You're not trained. You, you don't feel like you're trained in it. But these these skills and these these professions have so much overlap. They might as well be the same thing. But I guess it, in a simple way to put it, it's just too commercial for a lot of these university students. So it's not looked at like a, as a viable option. Damn, that's 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 such a shame. Because like, again, just taking you as an example that, as you mentioned, does come from that background. How many opportunities have that stemmed from you just jumping on that Adobe thing and how it has benefited you in so many ways? So many, so many things, even things that maybe if I was just a purely like classical contemporary music kind of composer, I would have jumped on. But 
that was the that was the beginning of me collaborating with as many people as I could at SJSU because I felt that there was there was limited connections among musicians because we all knew each other so well. So you would just have to wait until you knew each other. But there was an entire world of of artists around me who may be a little bit more impressed with my limited skills when I was that young. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that was the beginning of me working with like choreographers. I, I did a live action short film. I, I worked with like studio art. I worked with the small metals and jewelry guild, like so many people just, just stemming from that interaction. That's really cool. So yeah, you, you had a plethora of different experiences. And so how has your experience differed from composing music for live action versus animation, as well as kind of going more into your world or what you were learning, uh, contemporary versus tradition, traditional ensembles? How do those differ? Mm, everything's flipped. So talking about like classical and contemporary ensembles versus like just multimedia, what we just call like film and animation, that is mm-hmm. way, way less collaborative. Um, the whole... The whole process of being a composer in this classical world is so deeply isolated and personal to begin with. And then it's at the very end when you're like, oh, I have to get this played and I have to get this in a venue and I have to maybe work with a conductor. It kind of like explodes in collaboration right at the very end. But ever since Beethoven, like composers have been this like... I am the master of everything that I write and everything that I put <laughs> through. <laughs> the master, for better or for worse, they have control over everything. And now comparing that to like multimedia, where you work with film, it's immediately collaborative. You you feel a lot of composers maybe get a little thrown off by it because you feel like you're secondary, which is a weird term. Mm. Then going further into it, let's talk about film versus animation. That process. I, I tend to like a lot more. You were talking about music is the last thing that animators thinking about. Music is the last thing that live action films think about after they already thought they solved everything. So <laughs> it, it's even it's even more dire if 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 you know if music comes at the eleventh hour for animators, uh, music comes in film five minutes after you were supposed to be finished. So. They wanted it yesterday when they ask you like they would rather have it done when they asked you to come onto their project. That's that I I tend to like animation a a bit better because the the pacing is better and I get to I get a feeling for it. But uh, live action is is super fun in, in its own ways. I think that's that's the biggest difference is that pacing is so much faster for live action film and there's so much. There's so many other things that they have to worry about. And um, mm-hmm. you talked about bringing me on as early as possible, which really works out for animation. But for film, you can do that and you should do that. If any like young live action filmmakers, like hire your composers <laughs> early for the love of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for film, you could get away. You could get away with getting someone at the last minute. And even if you were thinking ahead and you hired like a very like, sound heavy person to work in that world they're going to have their hands full capturing dialogue and the, and you know that's that's the trade-off between film and animation is that there's this whole period where you're just focusing on capturing something so you collect all of your materials and then you take it you you take it in to work with with animation you are creating your materials at the same time that you're planning for it right so mm-hmm. 
the, right. the, the workflow is, is so much different. So even if there are filmmakers who are thinking ahead, they, their priorities is capturing it first, not developing anything. That makes sense. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Oh my god. I, I feel like I can, just, I can just talk to you forever, man. <laughs> just about these different I mean, things. It's, it's like incredibly interesting. Like Ray and I don't know anything, so everything no. you say is no, like, no, whoa, I, it's like new. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I don't want it to be that way. I, I just, I just by by some fluke again, I, I, I know a little bit more in the room. But it's no, but, <laughs> it's not that. But no, but that's. But that's I mean, great. it's also really cool. Like you're, you're right, and like for animation, obviously, like because of the way that it works we have to do like a storyboard and and go through this process and get multiple parts approved before we can like go into animation or uh, coloring or anything, which takes a, a lot of time on its own. But at least you still have, you can see the story, like you can watch the storyboard and get what's yeah. happening and look at color keys and see like, okay, mm. I know where this is going. That's not always the case in live action. They can do storyboards and they can do all of this development stuff, but like, Sometimes it's just faster and easier to like shoot it and let the the actors like kind mm-hmm. of bring more to the table. And and, and, and we're talking in broad strokes too. Like th- there is there is some some yeah. overlap. I've seen it was super interesting. I don't know if you guys watched like uh, Lord of the Rings and like the extended the extended edition Lord of the Rings. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know how. Okay, mm-hmm. did you did you watch the behind the scenes <laughs> extended edition, which was like twice the length, but it was all behind the scenes content. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of those. I don't know if I've seen all of it. Okay. But yeah. So in that world, there there I think it was like in the two towers, and Peter Jackson was planning out mm-hmm. uh, when like when Eisen when Isengard goes down and all the tree people destroy it. Super fun moment. There's video footage of him going through with a camera, just like a little handheld camera in in like the rough version of the miniature, and he created like a stop motion animation kind of previs. Or, or a bunch of those things. It's like handheld footage from Peter Jackson, like kind of going in and being like a little kid, like with the Lego set, just pretending to be Godzilla or something like that, that kind of stuff. There, there, <laughs> there are people who do, uh, who do a lot of, um, previs that, that helps so much. I think, mm-hmm. um, the guy who, the, there's a screenplay for Parasite that you could look at side by side with a lot of scenes. That that really lines oh, I've up. I've seen that. That's it's so. Good. It's super cool, right? And and yeah, to me, yeah, that yeah, made yeah. so much so much sense. It's like God. I don't know why all filmmakers don't do this, but there there's like a healthy tradition behind like the general way that you make a film, and it's really centered around the script, um, or you know, and the and the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And there there's a. I think there's more language when it comes to live action film about like camera direction uh setting and 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 things like that that uh are are just in a completely different world from animation but there is there's this overlap going back i want to uh say that i think the reason why maybe i guess in your experiences uh music is kind of brought in a lot later it's almost like a like a last minute thought i think it's because i think for most animation what you can mention earlier music is 50 50 and i feel like music can really help carry the short film. I feel like when it comes to like uh, live action, there is music, there is the score that accompanies it, but I think uh, it's not as heavy or it's not as throughout as in as a short film. Cause I think short film, like music is playing throughout the entire time yeah. to kind of help, help it and help deliver those emotional levels. But the one things I kind of want to get into is that what drew you to music and was it difficult to get your parents support in pursuing something in the sense that isn't the traditional career path. Gosh. Okay. So starting with, with what drew me to music, this, 
I've been thinking about this a lot because I think it just comes up when you're when you're around artists. Like, how did you get into this? Mm-hmm. Like, what was the, what was the genesis of it? And mm-hmm. I, I I never had like a eureka moment of this is what I wanted to do. I never had a moment where like I you know my life turned a corner, but it was something that I felt like I was gravitated to without even knowing it. Like I would do things and seek out things and seek out music um, at a very young age. And I cannot tell you the motivation behind it. It was just like, there's this, like a, a preset path that I gravitated to in, in, in all of my life. I, I got into music when I was like nine, 10, and it was with like school band. And I, there's no one musical in my family, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> and I, I never was like pushed to, to, to seek it out. And my parents were just like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Like if he wants to play soccer, he'll play soccer. If he wants to join band, he'll join band. Like they were, they were there for that, that early part of it and letting me like just kind of explore, uh, especially cause I was number five of six. So at that point they've, they've definitely oh, wow. adopted like, <laughs> all right, hands off and he'll raise himself. I was hopefully. Like, oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, yeah, I, 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 I wish I had a better answer of like how I got into this, but like it's something that I tried and I was good at, and I kept on doing it, and 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 I kept on getting positive feedback. But I've never questioned the general question of like, do I want to do music? Like, yes, of course I want it. That's not a question. What specifically do I want to do? <laughs> uh, which is such, mm-hmm. it's such a blessing for me. I know people who are skilled in so many ways and they're just like, I don't know what to do. They're some of the most interested and mm-hmm. gifted people and they're just tortured with like, uh, like uh, we have to live in a society where you, there costs money to eat. So then they're like, Oh, I got to choose something. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you don't. You're such a beautiful flying bird. Like don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> just be you uh-huh. be creative. But going back and, and like now talking about me being older, maybe like, later high school and how my parents felt about it. I started a professional relationship with music where like money is involved, or at least I'm working with organizations that can eventually Mm -hmm. pay me. I started that when I was 16. I started working and teaching at another high school when I was that age. So from a very early age, my parents saw that there was at least a possibility of a profession in it. And I, I think both of you can relate to to more like immigrant parents who mm-hmm. they're they might be worried about their child getting into the arts and like what that means. And it, it's frustrating for for both sides because they they are doing it as an act of love. They they just want you to succeed. And if becoming a doctor yeah. is like the most clear path for you to succeed, they're gonna <laughs> gonna kind of want you to become a doctor. Well, yeah, but like that, but that's succeeding like monetarily. I think. Mm-hmm. For example, like growing up with like my parents, uh, my parents were super supportive of the career path. And I think the reason for that is because I didn't really uh, I didn't really question them a lot when I was growing up because at a very young age, I understood the opportunity that I was given both my parents coming from Mexico. And then the reason why they wanted me to do well in school and they always repeated it, and, like banged it over my head is that we just want to make sure you have opportunities that we didn't. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that uh, whatever you decided to do that was your choice it wasn't because you were forced or didn't have the proper education this is the only thing you're qualified to do so i grew up with that instilled in me and so 
I did really good. I did really good in school. I was like a 4.0 student. And then, but throughout growing up, my mom would joke around with me saying like, oh, like, like you're going to be a doctor so you can take care of us. Like you're going to be a lawyer, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like these high end roles. And like, when I said like, I want to pursue art, I think they, and pursue animation. I think because I did so well in school and I had a good head on my shoulders, they were like, well, if that's what you want to do and that's what you think is going to make you happy, we're not going to question yeah. it. You, 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 you prove to us that you have been responsible and like with your education and like overall, like, yeah, being a good kid, I guess, uh, that they, they trusted me enough to make this decision about my career path. And then since then they were always, they've been supportive ever since. Yeah. See, and, and, and I think that's the thing. There's so much dialogue around like, uh, second or third generation experiences with the older generation of immigrants um, with like what mm-hmm. your profession is and how they're disappointed. But I think what, what we miss is that in some cases, if your parents can recognize work and effort, they don't care yeah. what you're doing. If your immigrant parents understand that you're working hard and they can, they can, they can put two and two together. I think there's less of that confrontation. And for me, it started off as like, I need to spend hours and hours at a school, at an institution, putting in real work. There, there may be other things where your, your parents don't understand the amount of effort you're putting into your art. And from what they see, they, they, they see in the worst cases, like a wasted potential. Like I, I, I pro- we're providing you with all these things and you're just kind of sitting on your ass with that cheap Cintiq <laughs> tablet that we, that we bought you. Like it, it's unfortunate because some things just look like work to, to an older generation more than others. Mm. No, that's very true. I think totally. I, I, I very much think if I was like a shitty student, if I was like a C plus student or like whatever, and I was just coasting my way through high school, I don't think they would have been as supportive mm. of me, but I think it's because, they recognize I put in effort and what I do that they were willing to. Cause I, again, I think the biggest thing about immigrant, immigrant parents is that they just want to make sure that you're not wasting the opportunity that they didn't have. Cause that's the majority of the reason why they came to this country is that is for the opportunities that they didn't grow up with that you have and that they just don't want you to squander. Yeah. It. And so I feel yeah, use that opportunity. Yeah. I feel like I'm making the most of the opportunity that they were able to give me by coming here. I felt like we 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 both got lucky. Yuki, you, are, you, are your parents supportive? <laughs> oh well, I mean, my okay. So like, I had a similar experience to Ray actually, where like they they were never like unsupportive. Like my parents bought me like art tablets and stuff, and they always saw me drawing. But my mom would always be like, "Oh, like uh, doctors and lawyers, like oh, that pays a lot of money." Or like literally, anytime anything would happen, like the radio was on one time, and she was like, "Oh, news anchors make a lot of money." Like she would just <laughs> drop, like <laughs> she would just drop vocations that are like, "Oh, this makes a lot of money." Like you should consider that. <laughs> so, like, yeah, in, in high school, I like only considered doing really like like traditional sort of jobs, and then I like decided to go to junior college to save on some money and then i was like so i didn't i actually didn't take the sat or anything so i didn't apply to college because i was like i'm just gonna go to junior college like i don't care i don't know what i want to do and then like in my last months of senior high school i was like oh maybe i should just do art because like i'm always doing art hell yeah (laughs) i i like never took an art class in high school either because i was like this is just a hobby for me and then in Mm. in junior college i started to like take art classes and like pursue an actual like career in this 
and they were really supportive. And I was shocked because like at no point was were my parents ever like, do you want to go to like art school or whatever? <laughs> Even though they would see me come home and draw for like hours and then like just never said anything. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I was fortunate that they were supportive yeah. though. <laughs> no, that's, that's so funny though about like the, the tiny hints that people in your life who are raising you um will drop about what they want you to if they're because if they're good and supportive they they want you to explore on your own after a certain point but they're still like it's still your mom and the the once you're adult mm-hmm. the funny way that like the really funny really thinly veiled ways of like so what do you want to do i think i all and <laughs> when you come from like a supportive household you're not used to that when you actually get it, it, it's heartbreaking. I remember my dad once. I, I, I it was like mm. a couple months after I moved out. I was living in San Jose. I came back to visit, and he asked me about a plan B, which is a very normal thing. He's like, just in case. And at the time, I was like, How right. dare you? No. <laughs> in my mind, of course, like I was heartbroken. It's like, how dare you doubt me? It's just because I had to drink my own Kool Aid. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I just imagine you standing like in your your parents' house or something, your hair in curlers, and you're like, <laughs> your dad says this to so- you. You're like, I can't believe. Yeah, he says something so reasonable, and I'm like, I am working so hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible. I mean, like, I don't know why. I also, I mean, thank God my parents were supportive, and I know people are in households where like that's not an option but for some reason i had it in my mind that they would not be supportive and then when they were i was like oh (laughs) i like was blown away call your bluff you're like oh shit now i actually have to do this so i don't know yeah i think it's like really hard for for kids to work up that courage and i don't know maybe just to say that um don't be too afraid like if you work hard it is it is a real job you get real money i don't know how to describe it (laughs) so uh, one of the things about this podcast as well is that we want to interview my POC to kind of mm. learn more about their background and how their background influences them, their art and whatever they're doing. So for you, how does your cultural background play a role in the work that you do? You know, more recently, I've, I, I've been thinking more about this on, on on a basic level. When I first started off, it, it was more about I had a unique voice. Um, we're talking about like the classical world. There, there is a history of, of Southern American composers, and they're well respected. But in the United States, I think they're seeing they're they're still exoticized, kind of otherized, and like, oh, these are just this is an Argentinian composer, and this is a Mexican composer. What they do is very different from what we do. So hmm. they're different, but they're 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 worth studying. So so when you're growing up in the classical world in the United States, you're kind of otherized, which. To me, I took advantage of. I, I I realized that I had a unique voice and I had a unique background, and that separated me a lot from my colleagues. And then going on to film and and me being more professional, uh, that's just expanded to less of an egocentric point of view and more of of my culture and my background. And it, it became less about like, oh, I'm so unique. Is that there is so much rich culture and history and uniqueness that that I have in my blood that I I want to be there in a professional world not only sharing it but presenting it in the best light and people that that's and that's a big comp, topic of conversation 
in, in recent years, and especially 2020, is not only representation, but just professional and normalized diversity and representation. Mm-hmm. So, so I've been I've been thinking about my role in that a lot. Is like how how do I present Latino like my culture and Latino things? Not only if I can, like oh, I'd be happy just to just to get a, a role playing a Latino, and it doesn't matter if he's he's like the <laughs> help or he's in landscaping. It just we're happy to be here. I think at this point it's like no, I I, I want to present nuances in my culture, and I want my culture to be to be as individualized as me, as I once was. Because America's really, I think the United States is really good at that, where you kind of have an individual identity and it's so unique, but we're not really good at kind of extrapolating that out to culture. Like, oh, these cultures are so unique and so individual and there's so much effort put into it. It's easier to paint in broad strokes about uniqueness and culture. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, there, there's, and there's a lot of projects, and I think a lot of people feel the same way about yeah. diversity, and and talking about it all the time in media is is important, and and it really helps. No, it does. It it does a lot for sure. To kind of go back, but like for for example, like Thurso Naciente, you saw it and you were like, oh, like I I relate to this. I love what's going on here and then you did a lot of research mm-hmm. you said did that like start with things that you knew and then you just kind of branched off and you're like i never knew this about my culture and like that got you more excited yeah or- yeah i think ray ray and i talked about the kind of sound that we wanted in a more like a authentic um rustic or just like traditional feel and i was like well i'm, I'm you know i grew up with like corridos and trios but i didn't really know it that much so i had to really get into it and and learn a lot about myself and about my culture to do it right and the same thing with with like the the other things i tried to try a lot of aztec music which i kind of knew i've heard it before but getting getting really into those sounds uh really opened a, a whole world for me and that's the thing i there's like diversity for diversity's sake or just doing something different because it's exotic Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like that's the first level and we have to explore this other level of like, mm-hmm. do you actually do your research and find something that's unique? Because we, we get all this, we got all these codes when we, when we go into different cultures, right? You're watching like a, a, a blockbuster movie, some kind of live action film, maybe like a spy thriller and they go to Morocco and music sounds a certain way. And it probably won't sound any different if they were in Egypt, probably wouldn't sound any different if they were in Syria, it would be like a deduk, maybe some of those <laughs> strings, and they're kind of sliding all over the place. They're like, this is the exotic <laughs> yeah, exactly. noise. Exactly. <laughs> and that and 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 we accept it. We sit there and like, yes, this is what Moroccan music sounds like. But if you take a little bit of time, even for selfish reasons, if you take a little bit of time and do your research of like, ah, what does music sound like in Morocco? Like, oh, what does Egyptian music sound like now? You're gonna get something extremely unique and you're going to get something extremely different and that's going to set you apart professionally and i i feel like that goes for all art forms if if you do your research Mm -hmm. into what you're doing you're going to get something more out of it no i totally totally agree and i like that i like that it looks like diversity is starting to play more of a role in what you do and upon that what are your future aspirations in your field that you want to do moving forward oh god I think a general goal is I want to I want to make music whenever I want 
with whomever I want. And I grew up with so many barriers around like, well, you're a classical musician, so you can only work with these people. Well, yeah, maybe you, you're a multimedia composer, but you're still limited to like things that'll be shown at a museum. And my entire life has been like breaking down those barriers. I want to work with whoever I want because I find the art exciting. So that's my eventual goal is to, to be able to feed myself and, and maybe a family making the music that I want and producing whatever I want. What advice do you have for students that would want to pursue a career in your field? I think I, I, I've said it in, in, in some ways already, but the moment you start thinking of yourself as a composer or as a professional, just in any way, rather than a student, is the moment when something switches in your brain that this is viable as a career. So I, I think I, I said something like it before. It's when someone asks you what you are, you don't say, well, I want to be this. I want to be that. I am a composer. I am an animator. I'm not practicing anymore. If you're at the point where you're in higher education, of course there's a lot to learn and you'll leave and you'll learn more. But the advice that I have is that if you're at the point where you're at higher education, you are working in a professional capacity and you're expected to be a professional. So call yourself that. Earn it and, and wear it. That's, I think that's the biggest advice I've had for a lot of creators and, and younger composers. And I think all of these, all of the other advice that I have kind of falls into thinking of yourself as a professional. There's another really great quote that, that I heard when I was younger is that your, your passion should be making music. This is something you're passionate about. Your talent should be making money. Just be good <laughs> at that. And, and it's hard to think of yourself as talented as making money when you're still a student, right? And because people expect you to be poor and focused and have your head bent down and in the book and in the studies, which, of course, is important. Uh, but when you got rent to pay, when you're living in the United States and it's a very capitalist society and you're expected to pay up if you want to even live, why not get talented at making money? That's something that you're passionate about. Be a professional, be in that mindset and, and explore that talent because the passion comes easy. Passion is like for me, it's, it's almost unavoidable. Something gravitates you, something, something drew you to this profession. Take advantage of it. Dude, honestly, awesome. amazing advice. It's been such an amazing pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you want to plug at this time? You can, you can find anywhere. Daniel Rodier Music. Uh, it's, that's my Instagram. That's my YouTube. Um, I'm on my website. It's my name, danielrodier.com. Snatch that URL early. Thank goodness. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with our beautiful music composer, Daniel, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap, and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.